Please go no more. Alex Pass, welcome to Wormhole. Such a cable, it's like a spaceball. Alex Pass, welcome to Wormhole. It's like words that I don't really remember. Alex Pass. You know, guys, that was the closest thing to an a cappella version of the outcast name you're ever going to get. And I'm only saying that because there was voices that weren't Sherwin Sleeves, but can be found at RadioGhost.com or AdamsMotion.com, because I haven't said that live on the air in a while. I am joined in studio by the nameless person on my couch, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> She's not actually on the show. You can hi. say hi, though. Hi, Alex. Thank you. So... Sarah is here to help me out a little bit because we, uh, later in the evening, have ourselves a little bit of a, what would you say, a social engagement, a gathering up? I'd say. I, I, may I be so bold as to say a date? You may. Oh, I thank you very much. So we have a date later this evening, and for the life of me, I'm struggling to remember the name of the place that we agreed to go. Do you, do you remember? I know you've, you've got a quick... You mean the standard? Oh, that's right, the standard at 14 Northeast 22nd. Mm. I'm so surprised that that slipped my mind. You know, I wonder, where, where have you heard that name before? Alex. Oh, Alex Cast. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Oh, yeah, the Alex Cast. So you've heard me incessantly talking about it I have. for the past year. Mm. Oh, all right. Well, happy anniversary, anyway. <laughs> um, anniversary of listenership to the one, the only, the Alex Cast, mm. sponsored by the single greatest bar in Northeast Portland, The Standard. That can be found at 14 Northeast 22nd, facebook.com slash The Standard PDX. When you're there, there are two nights of the week that I want to tell you about because I don't know any of the others. Sunday night, $2 microbrew nights. You know what that means? You can go in there with two green backs and get yourself a 16-ounce microbrew of beer. And then you kind of be a shithead because you should really tip your bartender. <laughs> Her name's Jess. She's really nice. So go in there with $3, though two of which is going to go for goods and services, and one will uh, for uh, to ensure proper service, or whatever they say TIP stands for. Anyway, what I'm saying is go to the standard, facebook.com slash thestandardpdx, or in person, 14 Northeast 22nd, in beautiful Northeast Portland. Uh, Northeast Portland, beautiful, right? Excellent. Every single person in my apartment agrees. <laughs> Northeast Portland is beautiful. I'd go upstairs and ask my landlady, but she's probably mad at me right now. Because I keep asking her to fix things that she doesn't. And I know that's rather rude of me. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. This has been Alex and Sarah, the nameless girl on the couch, <laughs> saying please go to the standard. Mm -hmm. Hello, my name is Alex. Tonight, after our long, dark, depressing fast, it was broken this morning. In a paradox, a paradox cafe, I supped upon various goods. I ate upon wheat that was beaten and added with yeast and water melted in the very fires of our Lord, and became unto bread. And I ate, and I supped, from the very ovum of chicken, cooked upon a skillet, until the sunny side became up, and it became runny, and mixed with delicious potatoes. And fie unto the Lord, they said, break thine fast at the Paradox Cafe. 
Shout out to the Paradox Cafe. They're not a sponsor, but I had a very good breakfast there with a lovely young woman this morning. Wow. Good times. Actually, it was very good, so if you're in Portland, go to Paradox Cafe. It's on Belmont or something. If you need to find it, it's right down the street from that place that was sort of a florist that I found that one time, and then I ended up buying jewelry. Remember? Yeah, go there. Hi, my name's Alex, and I host a podcast. That podcast is called The Alex Cast, because, well, let's face it, I'm not very inventive. For the next hour, I'm not going to be very inventive in and around you, my lovely, lovely listeners. I don't have a whole lot planned for you this evening, except for telling you about tarot cards, because lately I have taken to admitting in public that I am a tarot reader. I know you must take a moment to pick up your jaw from the floor and walk the dinosaur, because that is a song from the 80s that just popped in my head. Yes, so in public I've admitted to being a tarot reader. I've done it on the show. Actually, I started the show doing it in the early episodes. If any of you are still around, shout out to Rachel. I'm still guessing 76. Um, that at the end of every episode, I would do a fake tower reading, flip over a couple cards, and kind of describe some tower stuff. And it went away for a long time, and I suppose I just didn't bring it to the show because I was trying to do a little bit more of a comedic styling. But lately, I've added it back in. I did a tower reading on the Higher Side Chats recently that went over what I would like to call gangbusters. In fact, I have some people on Twitter that reference it and saying, hey, look, you predicted Greg, host of Higher Side Chats, his, uh, his success. And I like to say yes. I am like 90% responsible for the success of the Higher Side Chats, and I should be paid thusly. I'm the only person of this opinion. So, tarot cards. Let us, uh, let us break some shit down here. Shall we? We shall. Tarot, the name, comes from Taroki. I'm not going to do this all boring-like. This would be a boring way to do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking to the uh, off-mic guest in studio. Sorry, I don't know if we've explained her yet. So... I have, uh, yeah, so there's uh, multiple kind of ways that tarot comes about, or at least multiple theorems. If you want to go the more mystical route, it goes something like this. Ancient Egypt, they have hieroglyphics carved into, you know, little bits of pottery, shards of whatever, and these were used as divining devices, you know, ways to tell the future with the underclass, the, you know, the ones shortly below the priestly class, probably, I think you'd call them like artisan workers, I think. Um, and they would, you know, it's kind of like, um, reading tea leaves in, in China, where it's, you know, kind of a, this common material used to divine the future. And that was given, that was kind of passed down from the priestly class that was supposed to have the true Egyptian magic. And the kind of the theory goes that the hidden arcane secrets, the, the gnosis, the occult wisdom was passed down through the tarot cards and eventually reaches us in the, the deck that we know now. As far as I know, historically, everything I just said there was absolute horseshit. Um, people like to believe that because they also like to believe that Atlantis was a city powered by a giant throbbing crystal and that Lemurians uh, were space aliens from the Pleiades and that I don't know. David Icke's mom was a lizard. It's mostly because people are fucking idiots and like believing the more romantic story of things. If I may be so bold as a tarot expert, as one who may even go so far as to say a tarot professional, give you my explanation of what happened. So tarot comes from the old 52 card deck as we understand it now. There was a game in Italy in about its Renaissance era, so 1650s or so. And they played a game called Taroki. And Taroki was a regular 52-card deck that they had added to it the trump cards, or triumph cards. 
and the Triumph cards were another set. It was 22 cards that were added to the regular set. So instead of having um, Jack, Queen, King, it would be Jack, King, Queen, Knave, even though Knave's the old word for Jack, but it would just be a fourth card. So they added, essentially they added those and it became this 22 sequence of extra cards. And those were literally trump cards. Uh, they were cards that would trump the highest card. So instead of an ace being the highest or you know, king being the highest, it, the highest card would be the, um, the, the empress or whatever, the moon, the sun. This becomes a thing where people start using that deck to start divining, uh, the future. And, uh, oh, sorry, you know, let me backtrack here. There's all the, there's one extra of the higher core cards. And then those are, you know, that's just the regular deck. And then on top of that, I think I explained this poorly. On top of those, there's the added 22 cards. So there's a regular 52 card deck plus four extra cards plus the 22, just to make it clear. So their, their card decks had 56 cards instead of 52 plus the 22 trump cards. That being, you know, higher than an ace is the sun. So that makes the 78 card tower deck as we understand it, just to be clear. So they played card games with it. It was just a, a regular playing deck, like getting a pinochle set or a set of some other game that involves its own cards. Because I've never played pinochle, and I don't know if it has its own cards. But let's pretend it does. What's a, what's a card game that has its own set of cards? Pinochle. Pinochle. Good. Thank you. So pinochle. I was trying to come up with the one that you referenced that you like playing. <laughs> yeah, my family plays that. Yeah. So we... Uh, yeah, so... It's a regular card game, and much like an old deck of cards, you can actually do tower readings on a 52-card deck. Um, you just kind of give the order of the cards significance. So the power of the heart would be, you know, lessened by each card. So the king of hearts would be the highest of hearts. So you'd say, let's say hearts are wands, or hearts represent the earthly powers. And then you'd give, you know, diamonds you'd represent. That would be in like the uh, astral or, you know, etheric powers. And you can just, you know, read it from a 52-card deck. Same as reading tea leaves or runes or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, they, they were doing that in a regular 52-card deck, back then 56-card deck. And the tarot cards, uh, Taroki deck, became really popular for this because those Taroki decks started to get illustrated because they you ran out of pips. So instead of having, you know, the two as two pips, the three as three pips, four as four pips, and then the court cards would have a picture of a king, a queen, or whatever. Well, because they had those trump cards, they started illustrating them in a really kind of fancy way. And because they look fancy and mysterious because they're somewhat new instead of the traditional deck people are used to, it takes on kind of a mystic quality to it. And people started trying to divine the future like they do with a bent stick near water or, you know, tarot cards. So, Taroki became Tarot. The Triumph cards, the things that triumph over the other cards, became the Trump cards. And thus, we have the Tarot deck as we know it. Which kind of does take a little bit of the sexiness out of it, because it's not based in this font of occult wisdom, and it's not passed down from the Egyptian you know, priesthood that went through there, that went into Atlantis, and then the first Tarot cards were printed on you know, crystal, crystal cards that powered their Atlantis cars. Sorry, it's just not the way it worked. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Apologies. But let us get the occult back in this now that we've got our boring-ass history lesson done, in which I referenced the word pinochle way too many fucking times. So, the occult side of it goes like this. Once they started being kind of more known as divinator, divinator, things to divine with... Um, we, uh, they start having the kind of quote-unquote secret society start adopting them. 
there's, I know there's a Masonic deck. There's the Order Templi Orientis, the famous Alistair Crowley was initiated in there. The, there's the Gnostic deck. There's the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. That's the deck that, le- that's the deck previous to the Thoth deck, which I know I've heard, you've heard me talk on the show about it. I'm being way too many, I'm giving too many details in a row, right? I'm getting, I'm confusing people. Okay. So let's back this up. Yes, the occult side of it comes in, but just later. So let's start the occult side in about the 1600s, where secret societies, let's just say like the Freemasons, but not them, or the Illuminati or something, start using tarot cards as reference points for divining the future. Most of these societies have their initiatory processes were based around the old school, uh, you know, mystery cults of Egypt and Greece and whatever, like those, the secret backdoor worshipping things. Those are the ones that would put you in a hole and kill a cow above your head and you get bathed in its blood and all that, sh- you know, cool ass shit that you see in movies. That wisdom tradition gets passed down and arrives with the secret societies, arrives with those, you know, the Gnostics and the, you know, the Order Templi Orientis and all that stuff. When they start making their own decks, they start imbuing the deck with their own traditions, their own rituals and their own symbolism. That starts giving it, well, at least to my opinion, starts giving it occult power. So we've talked about making sigils and any kind of sex magic on the show. Like what we're doing or what they were doing is using ritual to empower the deck. So what it turned from something that was at one point just a card game. As it moves on and the more people use it as a means of divining, it starts taking on the aspects of divination. So it became something that is, in fact, a ritual object even though it started as a game. I would cite uh, another great example of this would be the Ouija board. The Ouija board, when it came out, was actually to talk to your subconscious. Ghosts weren't involved in it. The idea was you would touch it with somebody else, and then it would be like kind of freaky that like your subconscious would talk to you. Like So you were getting you were giving the answers, not a ghost. But people started to get so like obsessed with it and started to get this idea that ghosts were controlling it, that kind of they occulted it up a bit, made it look all weird, and started to sell that story. And it became that way that now there's haunted Ouija boards. There's people with tons of stories talking about how they contacted demons through their Ouija board, even though it started as a game or a psychological tool. But now it is a ritual occult object, the same as the tarot deck. And as the tarot arrives to us, it goes through various incarnations. The earliest decks is kind of the, the Tarot de Marseille, uh, the Sforzi deck, and the one you guys would know, the thing that you think of as a tower deck is called the Rider Weight deck, or the Rider Smith Weight deck, depending on which way you use it. One uses the artist's name as well as the two people that designed it. The deck I use is the Thoth deck. That's designed by Alistair Crowley and Lady Frida Harris did all the paintings. And that's the one that I use to tell the story of tarot. The idea is that the entire book, the 78 cards, makes up a book. And the book is the story of the universe. The various powers that are involved in the universe, the the four major components of it, you know, uh, air, water, uh, fire, and earth, um, and it involves the spiritual nature of it, the gods, the goddesses, and all the things that make up the universe and the ether and the heavens are involved in the book, and that you can divine the future and know everything if you know how to read the cards properly. Crowley being the person that knew more about the occult than I think any living person at the time, I know any living person at the time, probably since. I mean, he was just a fountain of occult knowledge. The man was, beyond his, his, his bluster and his kind of braggadocious nature, he was a fucking genius at this stuff. 
And in each card in the Crowley deck, the fifth deck, is imbued a massive amount of symbolism. The color scheme is picked to be magical. It is, it's a beautiful deck, so you should take a look at it. Anyway, I wanted to talk about on this episode, because that's what you do on episodes, is give 18 minutes before you actually get to the thing you want to talk about, is one of the ways to read tarot is that, it's not to read tarot, but one of the ways you can understand the tarot deck. And it's one of those things that a lot of people don't quite understand, and it's, this is more of a psychological thing. I mean, we just have to understand the tarot is, is the, a measure. If you picture Libra scales and one side is, is reason and rationality and psychology and the other side is mysticism and proper magic is that tarot operates on both sides of those. If you believe in magic, it works magically. If you believe in psychology, it works psychologically. If you believe in psychology, you think that the magic side work, works through psychology. If you believe in magic, you think the psychology side is magic. So, one of the ways to understand the book, the 78 pages of the book, that they call the Book of Thoth, is to look at the Major Arcana, those 22 cards that were added to the deck back in the 1600s. And we follow the Major Arcana through something they call the Fool's Journey. It's just one of the ways that we can understand what's happening in this deck, what the narrative of the book is. So the Major Arcana goes through the story. And outside of that story is the other cards that give meaning to the story. That's the, the metaphor, that's the that's the third party characters. That's the set and setting. That's all the, that's the, that's the fiddly bits. That's the details. That's the, that's the James Joyce stuff. And the, uh, the major arcana is, is the Hemingway stuff. It's just brute force telling the story straightforward subject preposition. So what I want to tell you guys about is 22 cards of the major arcana. And I won't go into each card too deeply because, well, frankly, I don't know if you want to listen to me talk about this for an hour. So, uh, I just want to briefly go through the Fool's Journey with you. If you happen to have a deck of tarots around, uh, the deck I'm using is the Thoth deck, Alistair Crowley's Thoth deck. The order of the trumps is slightly different than other decks, so I'm going to go with the order in the Thoth deck, because, well, that's what I'm doing. At least I think I did. I don't know. Here's the thing. I took notes on this about, I don't know, three months ago when I was going on another show, and I realized that I hadn't done a show this week. And I had a special guest uh, in studio that wanted to see me do a show, so I am doing this one for that. So I'm actually not sure what order they're going, but we're going to do it by the notes I took. Low those many months ago. You can hear me putting cards down. By putting cards down, let's throw a G at the end of that word, because I'm a fucking human being that knows how to speak. The other way to read this deck is an interesting thing. If you have a Thoth deck, or just actually look up the um, the Emperor of the Trump cards, there's um so the Emperor is actually a symbol for the the alchemy that happens here. So the way what he's making is a symbol for uh, how to make uh, the the Philosopher's Stone. So he's making uh, his feet cross. So he's making I think it's a uh, what's it's a sulfur, which is F and S. So He's making an S, and then his feet make the F, which is a symbol for how you combine to make the Philosopher's Stone, quote-unquote, which is doesn't actually happen. But I just I was looking at that card, and I thought that would be a good illustration. Just look at the card. Actually, if you look up La Milo de Cat, does a great de- description of this. That Yeah, when you go through, you can actually look up, instead of the Fool's Journey, you can look up at the Fool creating the, uh, whole, essentially they call it the Holy Grail, or the Philosopher's Stone, the Secret of Immortal Life, or the Secret of becoming a bodhisattva, becoming enlightened, whatever you want to call it. Again, it's psychology versus mysticism. Whether you're talking about becoming a full, complete human that's living in the now, or you're talking about becoming, literally becoming a godhead and having powers, or you're talking about just going on a journey of discovery. Doesn't matter. 
where it's the same journey. It's the same thing. It's just different words. And I'm drinking from a Viso Energy drink, which I meant to drink three days ago. And it says right on there, Star is the variety, which is a tarot card in the Major Arcana. You know why? Because synchronicity, my friends. Synchronicity. Which isn't true. It's just a delicious beverage out of Portland, Oregon. Shout out to Viso. Please feel free to give me free ones and I'll plug you on every episode. Not to take away from the standard, 14 Northeast 22nd. So, we start the journey together on this fun journey of the Fool. So, it's moving through the initiatory stages of, well, being initiated into higher wisdom. We start as the Fool. The Fool is is someone that... It's... I don't want to use... See, the, the problem is the Fool has a different meaning now than it did when it started. It's more the naive person. It's, it's a person that is kind of, you're so stupid to take on something that's going to hurt you so badly, even though the, the, the end result is great. But what you're about to ask of yourself is going through a massive amount of pain, a massive amount of training yourself to deal with just a deep amount of discipline. This is, you're agreeing to essentially kill what you are to bring back something in the end. You're going through a process of death and rebirth. Um. There's a concept called ego death, which we're talking on the show. It's what you're doing. You're taking this on. And the fool is someone that says that I'm so naive that I think it's worth it to go on this path, which is kind of interesting because the people that wouldn't think they're naive wouldn't go on the path. So it's kind of referencing, you know, that, that old adage of, you know, the wise man knows what he does not know. That's what the fool is, is that he's, it's a recognition of where you are and where you can be and willing to take on this deep, deep committed journey. To move towards something better and to, you know, it's a recognition of your innocence, of your naivete, and that's the fool. And the end, you're walking through the, the cycle, metaphorically being killed and reborn, and then uh, at the end, moving forward into your next iteration. It's very much a birth, rebirth, cyclical kind of thing. So we start off as the fool, as I just described. In the Curly deck, he is, he takes the form of, I think it's Mercury. Um, I forget who it is. No, no, it's. Hermes, or whatever, he's some Greek god he's patented after. There's 18 layers of symbolism on every card. I can't remember all of it, people. Sorry. But you see him, he's happy, he's kind of stupid, he's got, you know, whatever. Just look at the cards, I'm not going to describe it to you. I'm not a fucking, what do you think, I am a poet, even though I am and have a degree in it. So, that's the fool. We're taking on, um, yeah, essentially, oh, to use a metaphor if you've ever seen The Matrix, this is you taking the red pill. You know, this is, there's no going back, you're about to wake up and somehow be in a spaceship underwater and machines now run the world. I lost the trail of that metaphor a little bit there, but you you know what I'm saying. The next card up is the first card. One, the mages. And this represents um, Thoth, uh, the Egyptian god of knowledge. He's the one that passed down the first kind of occult wisdom to us. What this card is asking is for you to understand that you're a co-creator in the universe. It means that you're recognizing that it's like the fool saying, you know, I don't know anything. It's This is the recognition of there is nothing. That thing of, while we both may look at a wall, we're not seeing the same wall because it's, you know, different photons hitting us and we're not looking at a wall. We're never touching a surface. What we're touching is a, is a hydrostatic layer on our fingertips that is interacting with the hydrostatic layer on top of on top of the surface. So we're touching empty space to empty space space and imagining pressure. 
So the magus is recognizing that you're a co-creator of the universe because you're accepting that table as truth. And you're accepting your reality saying that I'm deciding that whether or not my hand is touching. So it's you are the co-creator. You're the recognizer of the reality around you. The third card is the second card, the priestess. I'll stop doing that. I'll start referring to the cards. The fool is the zero card. So let's just understand that. So we're on the third card, which is number two, which is the priestess, which is actually pretty simple. That's the defined, uh, well, uh, the defined feminine, the, um, the magus is divine masculine. So that's the one that you are the co-creator. You are the, the, the thing I just described. Divine feminine is the recognition factor of it. In cards, it is kind of, uh, I guess now it would be considered sexist, but it's not done in that way. But it's more like the the action is the masculine, the acceptance is the feminine, but not in a passive way. It's it, it's a it's an aggressive acceptance. It's a um, enlightenment would be would be feminine in in this deck. While sitting under the Bodhi tree, walking to the tree, and sitting lotus would be the masculine. Achieving enlightenment would be the feminine. So, and one is not better than the other. One's not worse. It's the have to work in conjunction. So the mages and the priestess, they combine together, and that's your the divine aspects of both male and female coalescing, and you know you walking on that path. Path. Next one is the empress. <clears throat> this opens uh, if you go to the uh, the. How does one? How does one word it? Um. This is the Earth Mother. The um. This is the kind of the idea of where you're born from. This is a place to leave childhood identities behind. This is, this is the mother is, is the best way to put it. That's the empress. The emperor is the same thing. The emperor is father. So these are like leaving home when you're leaving for, for college or moving out finally. That's the emperor and the empress. That's mother and father. That's recognizing the earth that bred you, recognizing the world that you've been in. And seeing it as a place to leave from. It's not negative, but it is something you're leaving behind. Again, this, the fool's journey is something that you lose a lot. You, you take a lot away from yourself. So that's the emperor and the empress. These are high cards. These are essentially the world as known, the parental figures, the male and female as perceived that you're walking away from. And then we start getting into the weird spiritual shit, man. We move on to the hierophant. The hierophant's one of my favorite cards ever. Um, if you look at the hierophant, um, especially in the Crowley deck, if you look at the top right corner, and I, people don't see this as much as I do, but I swear that's Barack Obama. Um, I don't know if you can see that, but the top right corner, that mask just looks like it's a crappy Obama mask. <laughs> yeah, it looks similar. Yeah, thank you. At least, at least nameless couch lady agrees. <laughs> Name Sarah. Um, <laughs> I said I was going to do that, sorry. Um, so the Hierophant is a reference point to learning. This is... Oh, I, I'm not going to go into this, but if you know what the trivium is, um, that's what the hierophant is. If you don't know the trivium, I'll just step back a second. This is structured learning. This is school learning. This is uh, rote. This is learning how to break a sentence into its participant parts. This is learning mathematics. This is rote, mem not necessarily rote memorization, but the school style of learning, not free, not wisdom learning. This is, you know, high school to put it, you know, to put a cap on it. Um, that's another step you go through. So essentially you're leaving your parents and the first thing you do, and if you're talking about on the initiatory process or the way that you're, you know, on a more like kind of easily, this is like when you join the Freemasons or join one of the, the first time you join like a, an occult group or one of the, you know, the easy accessible occult groups, like the ones that, Shriners, you know, the ones that have parades and big fucking buildings in town. So these are the ones you go in and you do their dumb rituals and you learn, 
you know, you learn the names of the major gods and you learn, you know, what this does this, you know, or if you're a pagan, well, you burn wormwood to do this. You, you know, it's the rote memorizing of the path. Then next, we move to the lovers. The lovers represent, and it actually can literally mean lovers, but on the fool's journey, this represents represents the give and take of the universe, the interconnectedness of the universe. So now you've left your parents behind. You've decided to take on this journey. You left your parents behind. You've gone through this learning process where now you have the knowledge requisite to actually start learning. To actually, you you're you know enough to stop paying attention to what you know. You know, it's it's that point where everybody at some point goes, oh, I don't even know why I went to school. I didn't learn anything. Well, you learned enough to get to the point that you make that statement. And the lovers is when you're moving past that, or you're starting to move past that, and you start seeing the interconnectedness of things. If any of you guys have worked on meditation practice or any kind of occult study, um, any kind of like pagan work, when you start seeing synchronicities everywhere, um, if you read my book, Periphery, available on Amazon.com, um, the orange plastic dinosaurs in the gutters that appear in the book is the lovers. That is the interconnectivity of the world. That's synchronicity. That's noticing the throughput through things that you previously didn't notice because the phrase I love is for those who have eyes to see is you're now starting to have the eyes to start noticing at least the surface level of what you're trained to do. So now you've gone, you've learned the, the rituals, you've learned how it works. You can start looking back and start realizing, oh shit, there is some wisdom here. The next is the chariot. This is, uh, actually, this one's kind of boring. Essentially, it just moves on more. Um, this is where the fool uh, on our journey, or you on your journey, starts to realize that you realize that the pursuit is something that you can enjoy. Um, you start coming into your own on decision making. You really start having powers of your own. Um, don't take. Don't fall too much. This is where a lot of people fall apart. This is where a lot of people stop. And those are the people that are annoying to read on Twitter. They keep having quotes from fucking Ticknick Non or whatever. Um, is the chariot. This is where you start enjoying your thing. You're like, ooh, I'm so wise. You know, these are people that went to, um, gather doctorate and, and keep mentioning that they're a doctor. Um, so that's, uh, it's, it's not a bad card. It's something you have to go through. Anyway. Um, adjustment is the next card. We are on eight. So adjustment is, let me see what my notes here. I don't know. My, my, my notes say courtroom, lady, lady justice, life is passed out to try equal scales, blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah. So adjustment essentially is this, um, it's one of the more literal cards and it kind of, it means a fucking scale. It means you're trying to find a way to, um, to use the golden rule. I uh, do unto others as they would do unto you. It's finding a way for you to, parcel out your spiritual path to make sure that there is equivalency between yourself and others. This is, uh, I've talked about this on the show. This is a card that I was stuck on. My fool's journey was stuck on this one for a while. This is where I was trying to figure out the, the deep abiding hate in me and my like for other people and how my like for other people turns into hate because I hate myself. And a lot of people get stuck here because you, so this is where you start learning that those first steps of treating others as you'd have yourself treated because then you are treating yourself as others because if we step back a bit we, the lovers have already happened so you recognize that treating someone else well is treating you well because we're all interconnected so you this is kind of one of the more healing cards in your early journey 
because you you know you start to understand things. So nine is the hermit. This is the wise man, but the wise man that's separated from society. This is this is a really wise leader in like if you've ever been to like a local Buddhist shrine or somewhere that accepts kind of pilgrims and readily and there's a really wise person there but he's had nothing to do with the outside world this is uh maharaja um which not to insult maharaja i'm sure he was an enlightened being yada yada but this is the people that kind of step out that have achieved the level of spiritual enlightenment that have done a path but kind of stepped out this is spiritual wealth without having any kind of of the material world involved it's it's the world of the ethereal without without adjustment, without having any kind of the material involved. These are wise people. These are good gurus to find, but these are people to move beyond because this is a, a point that you can be stuck at and live probably a fulfilled or a sort of fulfilled life there. But this is um, this is someone that seems like a bodhisattva, somebody that achieved enlightenment and stayed behind to help people, but really it's somebody that got stuck on one of the earlier paths. Um, there's Some people will disagree with that, um, but I mean... I'm right, so fuck them. <laughs> uh, the next one is Fortune, also known as the Wheel of Fortune. And this is the halfway point of um, the Fool's Journey. This is one of the weirder ones, and this is why it references back to the Hermit, because the Hermit is stuck outside the material realm, so he's in control. He is the master of his doctrine, and he dictates how spirituality works, how life is going to work. Fortune is the recognition that you are still living in the world, and the world can fuck you over. Or the world can benefit you. Some people get lucky, some unlucky. This is that there's chance involved. That you're recognizing the fact that you're not just a spiritual thing walking around, that you can that you can as long as you think hard enough, everything's gonna be perfect. Chance gets involved, cars hit you. It's fortune is a recognition of that. Oftentimes with the fool's journey, it will be something as simple as that is, you know, you'll see a news story about a car hopping a curb and fucking knocking some kid on a bike. And you go, oh shit, you know, that kid didn't do anything. And you have this realization that that kid could have been a Buddha. It didn't matter. A car is going to hop a curve. So you recognize that you are a spiritual creature, but you're still occupying a meat sack. So you have to, you know, you have to be there. Moving on. Lust. Uh, a favorite card. So lust is control of the life force and endurance. So if you've ever heard of... Uh, um, Oh, I'm blanking on what's the thing that Sting does? Uh, 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 where you fuck for a long time? I don't know. Um, not Kundalini yoga. What the hell is it called? I forget it. Um, um, the thing. Where, well, anyway, there's yoga? what? Yeah, the thing where you fuck for a long time and you like um, uh, you hold your orgasm in for a long time. Tantric. Tantric. Thank you. Uh, tantra. Um, is lost. This card. Uh, the the eleventh trump would be like tantra. Um, is that you're controlling your life force. You're in control of the subtler forces and having endurance to keep on this path because now you recognize that the path is no longer in your control. Well, you recognize it never was. So now you have to kind of muster yourself up for the rest of the fight because now it becomes hard. It's really easy to get that first enlightenment and hang out as a hermit because you're not in the world. Lust is the recognition that you're now mustering your strength instead of, you know, and people can get stuck on lust because now they recognize their strength. These are people that kind of show off. Sting. Um, that's lust. And the next one is the hanged man. This was a favorite card of mine for a very long time. The hanged man 
is the recognition that you can't just keep pressing forward. Um, sometimes you have to sit. Sometimes you have to... The hangman is, ha- uh, is hung upside down. He's crucified through his hands. He's hung from an onk. There's a serpent around his leg. He is suffering. He is hurt. And he's suffering for a greater good. This is you having to stop and contemplate, but you're stopping and contemplating in kind of a horrible place. You've left the world behind. You don't live with your... You don't have parents anymore. You don't have any kind of teachers anymore because you've left your teachers behind because they're the hermit. You've now recognized that you live in a horrible world full of chance uh, that can kill you in any second. You, you, you have all these life forces flowing through you, so you're tempted because you could just easily become a guru. You could easily just, you know, do stage shows and, 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 and practice, you know, Reiki and, you know, this is the temptation, but this is temptation has stopped. This is, I don't want to say penance because you've not sinned, but this is where you have to stop and contemplate and it's often a painful contemplation. And, and that's that's it. This is this is meditation. This is meditating in lotus for so long that your knees start cracking. You know that's the hangman. You know it's even if you think you've achieved something, even if you think you pierced the last veil of your meditative practice, is sitting there and waiting 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 some more until you get a faint hint that fuck, there's another veil. And the only reason I didn't recognize it is because it's been on me the whole time. That's the hangman. Now everybody's favorite card, death. Anytime I ever ask anybody what they know about tarot, they say, the only thing I know about tarot is that death actually doesn't mean death. Which, because all of us, every time we do a tarot reading to someone, when we flip over death, we go, no, no, don't worry, it doesn't actually mean death. So, yeah, you're right on that. So, this is metamorphosis. This is the recognition that as you've been studying, as you've been in that lotus position, let's say you prayed lotus for 10 years, let's say you went through a hangman state of 10 years, that all things are decaying. That you didn't get to pause life. You're now 10 years older. You now see the wrinkles under your eyes. You're now paunchier. You know, you've, you've, you've suffered for a decade. But now this is a recognition that all things, all things move towards their end. Death is evident everywhere. Decay. But decay allows for greater ideas to come in. This allows for you to shed your childhood clothes. This allows you spiritually to shed your childhood clothes. You know, without decay, no new growth. So death is decay. Death is change. Death is on the fool's journey, the recognition that you are an entropic meat sack, but you're a spiritual being having an entropic meat sack journey. And it, this is the one that's really tough. I, this is one that I might be stuck on, is that trying to get yourself around the fact that you are just decaying flesh, but you're decaying flesh that has a pure spiritual purpose. This is trying to, this is the hard part of the journey, and the whole journey's hard, but this is one of the harder parts. But we get rewarded. Thank Christ. The next card, 14's art. And that's guidance. And that's guidance into the ideas that were revealed by death. So death is change, it's decay, it's falling apart. But then art comes in as guidance. Art shows you what you can do with that decay. Art is the thing that says, well, yes, so the tree, the tree rotted, so let's put new, let's put new seeds down and we'll have new trees. And, you know, metaphorically speaking, of course. Art is, in the alchemical uh, reading of this, art is where we start figuring out that because we've broken down all the elements, we can start recombining them and making something new and making something good. This is a calm after the storm. And the next card is the devil. Freaky. So, this is the fool, or you, on your journey as approaching the 
how does one word like opposition this is you see to use the veil metaphor this is you figuring out where the veils are this is you seeing the flaws within yourself the bad habits within yourself and then denying them would be the card representing would be the card winning in the journey you recognizing those those flaws recognizing your bad habits and then finding a way around them finding a way to push through them is how you get past the devil card but this is denial this is this is a part where people this is a part where when you fail you get fucked up this is this is when you're having a bad trip and you just fall into it and never come out this is this is your a, a glass of orange juice in a in an insane asylum if everybody's heard that story which maybe most people haven't but fuck you i'm moving on because i'm not talking about taroki anymore the next card the tower the tower is destruction slash re resurrection it's instability it is recognition of the fleeting nature of things it almost goes back to um the idea that happened with death where everything's decay but this is more so with ideas than flesh this is this this is when you lose everything and you watch the tower fall in the rubble you see foundations for new things this is you falling apart on that final level this is you have passed through all your flaws but now you're looking at the fundamental nature of yourself and destroying it you're falling apart but allowing to have new foundation allowing to have foundation there this is this is if you're in rome and you see you know there's masonry block that was that was there from before caesar and on top of that masonry block is you know, is a, is a fucking Starbucks, you know, I shouldn't have used Starbucks, but you know what I'm saying? Like some new building, like it's, it's the destruction of something old, but foundations of something new, or let's say a, a library there that was, that was built in the 1400s, but it's still 1600 years old. That's the tower is the new, is recognizing that in the destruction, as you killed yourself metaphorically, you haven't, all you've done is wiped away that top layer. You've thrown everything of yourself out. And now we're going to start picking up the pieces. Now we're left with our foundation. Now we're left with the true self, the self that can, that is close to that is close to source. And now, one of my favorites, and the ones I've been focusing on lately, is the star. And the star is healing and hope. The star is you are now uh, an exposed nerve. You you don't have any protection up. You don't have anything helping you. You don't have anybody helping you. You have torn yourself down to your foundation and are about to try to be rebuilt and the star comes in to help you and the star is healing and hope and you because you now have the knowledge both esoteric and internal that she comes to help you and you can start moving on and the next card is 18 the moon the moon is a relationship with your mental self that you recognize that Truth is subjective, that the moon doesn't have light, it's a reflection of the sun. So to say that you're under the moon's light is, although correct, is not correct, because it is sort of truth, but it's subjective truth. Because if you say the moon has light, well no, the moon has reflected sunlight. The moon is understanding that your mental self, like we understood that we're world creators on an earlier card, that we understood that we are... The recognition of the world is important. This is a recognition of the world on a fundamental level that nothing is true, that all things are subjective. There is no truth. We've torn ourselves down and took away all of our truths. There's no ego left. And now we understand that even though there's no ego left, there's no room for in 
there's no interpretation. We just look. We observe. We be here now in the, in the Ram Das Vedic or whatever sense. Now we move on from the moon to the card that is absolutely in every reading of mine lately because I have been a blessed man in the past few months, the sun. The sun is consciousness. This is individualization. This is illumination. This is, this is coming to grips with the journey you've been on. You've been torn down. You've been beaten. You've been, you, you're ragged from the effort. Everything is broken about you, but you've been healed by the star. The moon has shown you that when you've been started to get put back together, that what you're looking at is illusion. And the sun shows you that you are looking, that it is you, in fact, that's doing something. This is becoming an individual again and one who can be illuminated. This is where good teachers come from. This is the people that can teach the hermit how to move on. Then we move on to the aeon. The aeon is like death in that it's metamorphosis, but this is more so on the collective unconscious. This is because the fool has gone on his journey, because we have done what we've done, because we've traveled so far, that we are now, when we get done with this journey, we are of a different ilk. This is, um, this is the new kind of people. If you talk about, um, uh, in the, in the Indian sense, it's Kali Yuga and Prata Yuga, I think is the next one, or whatever. Kali Yuga is like the destruction. And then you move on from the destruction world into one that is being rebuilt. In, in the Western, uh, uh, astrological one, it's the dawning of the age of Aquarius. So the new age is the new aeon. And it's a new awareness. It's free love and understanding and, and understanding that love is better than hate and all that. The things you've heard. New age, quote unquote. But what you've done is affected the totality of the universe with your change. You are now a full individual that is collected in part of the collective unconscious. We have now, your journey's almost over, but it doesn't mean that you're done. Which, sort of where you're done. 21st card is the universe. It's completion of the journey. It is the inner examination is done and you've passed. You've destroyed yourself. You have walked past gurus that would be centrally attractive. You walked past people that were centrally attractive. You have been shown false prophecy that sounds exactly right. You have done a journey that almost no one should be able to go on. You have destroyed your very nature. You have done something that most people can't. You started off as a fool that was so stupid that thought this would be a good idea. And you just spent years of your life getting beaten and smashed and learning and reading and realizing that there's no hope because there's no hope. You find hope. There's You're killing yourself to become yourself. You've just done something that cannot be done. You've just done the thing and you have to thank yourself because you are done. And this is the Bodhisattva. This is Buddhahood. This is when you complete the journey. And most of us don't get there. Most of us don't get the, most of us don't get to the first card. Most of us don't get to the fool. Don't realize that there's something that needs to be done, something that needs to be changed. But some of us do. Some of us get to go on that journey. Some of us get to help other people on that journey. Some of us just get to watch and some of us listen to podcasts where people talk randomly about tarot cards for 48 minutes and 37 seconds. Fun times. So that's the fool's journey. It's a way of understanding the tarot, it's a way of understanding the book, so that all the subdivisions of those cards are reflected in the minor cards, are reflected in, you know, um, the court cards of, you know, the, 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 the Knight of Wands or whatever, whatever you want to say. Like, any of the subcards are reflected 
smaller versions of that. There's subdivisions. These are, you know, if you see your class is geology, that doesn't mean you walk into a classroom and someone just goes, rocks, 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 geology, rocks, 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 rocks. You know, when you walk into the classroom, you start finding about igneous rocks and granite. And those are the minor cards or the breakdowns. So the trumps are rock. And the minor cards are the breakdown, the subdivision. So when you look at death being a recognition of decay and moving on, you would go into death's classroom and see decay is actually microbes. Decay is bugs taking you down. Decay is re-nutrients re-entering the soil. That is the classroom we've entered. So if you look at the 22 cards of the journey we went on, we can learn more about that journey by looking at the cards inherent in each of those, the cards, the sub-cards within that. And that's, um, well, frankly, that's something you have to look for yourself because they're all, they're all, um, it's all individual. I mean, it's how you interpret the journey, but that's the vague, the vague outline of it. There's other people that take this journey as literally the fool is a recognition of you want to make the Philosopher's Stone in literal alchemy. And then the 21st card is you've made the Philosopher's Stone. There's a lot of ways to do it, but this is the spiritual side of it. This is the way that I like to look at tarot because it is an individual journey. So if you look at tarot and you, and you think about it in that way, when you're looking at the cards, you're, you're looking at the journey you've been on and the journey you might be walking down further and helping other people recognize where they are. So if you flip over a card and it reads something to you, there's a reason that, that card was there, there's a reason that person's sitting across the table from you. And if you're honest with yourself and honest with them, usually it works out well. Um, it is uh, rather surprising the amount of times that I give a tower reading and someone freaks out and, you know, says something along the lines of, I don't know how the hell you did that, or, you know, you have a gift for prophecy or something along those lines, which is really gratifying to get, but it's also um, kind of conflicting because... It is, it is certainly weird because I do, I like to not think about it that it is kind of weird that through sheets of card stock with pictures on it, I've somehow divined something that I couldn't have possibly known. That's a little weird because that seems a little proofy to me. And anytime something has proof to it, I immediately suspect it's wrong. So I try not to think about it too much. Because the second someone tries to prove a theory to you, I think you're wrong. I mean, unless it's like science. But like, you know those people that think you can write love on the side of a bit of water and then, like, it changes the molecules of the water? No, fuck you, because then I can just have a scientist tell me that's bullshit and they can replicate the experiment. And then it's like, oh, crap, well, there goes all that proof. So the second proof shows up, I get a little weird. But let's face it, it's a little weird that you can flip over cardstock and find out actual things about people. It's, well, whatever, it's gratifying. So, tarot reading, fun. At the end of that, uh, yeah. Go to alexcast.com if you want to. Um, that's where all my stuff is. You can find links to everything I do. Um, my Twitter is at the alexcast, uh, facebook.com slash alexcast. And if you click, actually, one of the recent posts, I was doing a donation um, to things. Oh, you know what? I should thank you guys. Hold on. Um, where's my phone? You guys, we're going to have to do this on the fly. Sorry. Um, so uh, my computer died a few weeks ago. I think I referenced that. Yeah, I referenced that in the last episode. And... A bunch of people um, donated money to the show, and I want to make sure I thank them because I I was going to forget. Um, I hope I remember the ones that told me not to thank them by name. You you'll have to forgive me as I look for activity. Would that be what I click? Yes, it is. Okay, view all activity. So, I would like to thank the most recent person, John Crew, for uh, donating. Thank you very much, sir. Bank account transfer. Um, person that told me not to thank them. I very much appreciate that. Um, you are a lovely man, and I'm glad that we reconnected via Facebook. 
Nicole Klop, thank you very much. She donated because I said on Facebook, if you someone can donate some money, I will shut up and stop bothering you about money on Facebook. So she donated with the note, okay, now you can shut up, which was the last time I referenced it on Facebook. I would like to thank Sandra Ling. Your name might be familiar with you because that's my sister-in-law. Thank you, Sandra. Brett, lovely man. I thank you because that's um, the altered one on Twitter, which we've referenced. He's given me much show topic. And when I was having the idea of every listener give me a buck, so no one has to actually really donate, it's just a buck, uh, he's the only one that did. Um, so that's really nice of him, because no one else listened. Uh, my mom, thank you. Um, my brother Craig, thank you. Sarina, thank you very much. Uh, that is... Oh, I don't know her name on Twitter, I'll throw it in the thing, but she does a bunch of... Um, She's a Shakespeare scholar, and uh, quite interesting articles about Shakespeare. She has a blog that she writes stuff on. I will definitely put a link up for you guys to check out. She's a very nice lady. Dustin Wetzel. Thank you, sir. You are a lovely man, and if I were in your presence, I would shake your hand heartily, look you in the eyes, and say, thank you, sir. Colin Stryker. He's a friend of mine. I don't think he's ever actually listened to the show, but I've known him for like six years. So, good thing you keep donating, because, well, frankly, I'm a little pissed at you. Um, I don't remember if you actually donated, but you definitely bought a tower reading, so I'll thank you anyway. Julia Howe, thank you. You are lovely. I, if I was ever in your presence, I would give you a hug, a light kiss on the cheek, and we would talk about that time we were at a party together in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Um, I think that's everybody. If I forgot any of you, I do apologize. Please remind me, I will make it a point of giving you an entire section on the show next week. By that, I mean, I will just say your name out loud. You know why? Because that's the kind of guy I am. And, yeah, that is it. What else do I want to tell? Do I need to tell them anything else? I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay. Uh, I did the standard. Alex Castle. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, so the fundraiser, there is a link still up there that says tarot readings on there for the fundraiser. I am doing tarot readings for cash. Uh, sliding scale, depending on how much you want. Um, I was trying to really force the issue because I was trying to afford a computer, which I have now. Um as demonstrated by this episode coming out. So, uh, if you want a tower reading for me, it's information's on there. Uh, sliding scale, anywhere from like five bucks for a simple three card past, present, future reading to like a hundred bucks. I'll do it on Skype, give you a full 15 card reading with follow up and all sorts of spend hours on you and, you know, and give you tender, loving care. Yes. So that is that. Uh, that is, I think, all I really need to tell you guys. Well, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, in-studio guest, for joining me in studio. It was one of the most lovely things ever. Wait, I talked over you. What would you say? I said thank you for your hospitality. Well, thank you very much. I just wanted to get you a clean audio on the show. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Thank you for singing the theme song. Okay. And, hmm. You know, okay, so you're a listener. Um, yes. Is there, you know how, like, I always ramble at the end of the show, and, like, <laughs> I never actually finish the episode? Is that really annoying, or is this like kind of like a, like a, like a little like endearing? It's charming. It's charming. Okay, good. Thank you. Guys, you hear that? Charming. You, Sarah can attest to this. I just pointed at you while talking to the audience at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do this while I'm in a room by myself too. I just <laughs> I don't know if you saw what I was talking to Dustin. I actually made eye contact with an invisible Dustin on the wall over there um, <clears throat> because I'm I'm a maniac and I need I need severe severe mental help. But you know, you. 
you came to my apartment, so, you know, who's worse, the fool or the fool that follows him? It's true. No, the answer is the fool. I'm a lot worse. <laughs> That's the long-term story. All right, fun. Okay, guys, thank you very much for listening. I have been Alex. That has been Nameless Person on the Couch. That is obviously Sarah. And, uh, yeah, please have a delightful week. I will be back. Actually, I'll do another one this week, too, so I can make up. Maybe I'll do two or some kind of thing like that. All right, fun. Love you all. Namaste. <laughs>